Amen. We'd like to welcome everyone tonight. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. We welcome you. Amen. We're so glad you're here. And it's good to have all of our brothers and sisters from Antioch Central here on the west side. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're so glad they're here tonight worshiping with us. Praise God. I'm not going to be very long tonight. So if you're a guest here tonight and you're about to pass out because you think I'm about to talk for an hour, don't worry. You'll be okay. I understand what time it is and I am not long-winded either by nature. And I promise you, if I need to be short-winded, I can be. So just give me a few moments tonight if you would. You're here. You stayed this long. You might as well just stay a few more minutes. Ain't going to hurt you. I will remind those of you tonight, Antioch West, we do have to break down. So if you would help us tonight and do what we do, we get this done quickly. Amen. If you would, go with me to the back of the Bible, Revelation chapter number 5. Revelation chapter number 5. If you're unfamiliar with this, the book of Revelation is a book of Revelation. I know that's profound. The book of Revelation is a book of Revelation, revealing to us the mystery and the things of the end times and things that pertain to the world that is to come according to the scripture and what we believe. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 1 says this. This is the, uh, the apostle John writing. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept, this is John, and I wept because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word of God. You may be seated tonight. This is the gospel writer that's credited for writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is John, the gospel writer, and he is writing a vision or writing about a vision he is seeing. In fact, there is a stretch in the book of Revelation that John records the words, I saw, 36 times in 34 verses. So 36 times in 34 verses in Revelation, John uses the words, I saw, I saw, I saw. And so we find that John is seeing something take place here. And we get to this moment, this climactic moment here. And at this point, John sort of becomes overcome by his anxiety and sort of his depression because he doesn't know how things are going to work out. He doesn't know how things are going to go. He's sort of at this moment and it looks like things are not going well at all. And he's sort of becoming overwhelmed by these things and he begins to cry because at his limited earthly perspective, it seems to John as if all of the world's destiny, all of eternal destiny hangs in the balance here at this moment that we read about. And at that moment, the scroll of judgment 
is looking to be open, and, they, the, and he records, there's no one above, no one above, meaning there's no one in heaven I can see. There's no one earth, meaning there's no man. There's no man under the earth, meaning there's no dominion. There's nothing that I can see at this time capable of completing this task that he's writing about. There's this task that's before us, and he said, I, I don't see at all how this is going to end well. I can't see it all. And this is not somebody that, that was a novice. John was very much familiar with tense circumstances. He was original, a part of the original 12. He had saw what Jesus went to firsthand. In fact, John was an apostle that actually got to die of natural causes. Most of the apostles were all killed and martyred. John got to die of natural causes, but not because they didn't try to kill him. In fact, the story goes that they actually had to try to boil John alive. The Bible doesn't record this, but church history recorded that John was brought into a large arena filled with people as it was a custom in the time of the Romans to make a spectacle out of death. And John was brought in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people in the arena. And they had a cauldron that was set out in the middle of the arena and they had set it to great heat and it was boiling. And the idea was you put someone in there and obviously you boil them. And they go and they lower John down in this cauldron, this hot cauldron. And to their surprise, nothing happens. I don't know if he thought it, I mean, imagine you get in this thing and all of a sudden they're expecting these great catastrophe to take place and it's just a hot bath to you. And all of a sudden in amazement, thousands of people begin to recognize what was going on. And so in order to get rid of John, they decided the only way to get rid of you, if we can't kill you, we're just going to send you out to an island in the middle of nowhere. And that's where John is when he writes this. So this is not somebody that that sheltered and cloistered and has never faced any great circumstances of his life. But he writes this and he says, I begin to weep. And literally, by weeping, it means he began to wail and sob out loud. That's what that word weep is. We think of weep, we look like a little tear here, a little, little tear there. He actually means he began to sob out loud. He began to wail and sob out loud. Because the problem with John is the problem that most of us in this room have. It is that godly things and the things of God are far from the way they appear to our natural perspective. The way God is doing things and what God's plan is doesn't always match up with our natural perspective or what we see. Because we can only see the story as it is unfolding, but God knows the beginning and the ending. In fact, the Bible says he knows the end all the way from the beginning. He's not trying to fix the problem as it goes along. He already knows how it's playing out, but because you and I cannot peek beyond the curtain. We can only see from a limited field of view. And so here is John. He can only see from his perspective. But he can't see from God's perspective. But if we read a little further, we find that something begins to happen. Because there was a guy that showed up next to John during this whole. He's standing there. He's seeing this vision. He sees this book. Nobody can open it. And he begins to weep and wail because he knows that that eternity is hanging in the balance. 
and he's beginning to weep. And this guy walks up to him, and he was just worshiping God. He's a worshiper. He walks up to him, and this is what happens. Go further. John chapter 5, verse number 5. And one of the elders saith unto him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. How come he didn't see this to begin with? He stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth. The problem wasn't John's eyesight. The problem was his perspective. The problem was, it wasn't that he could not see. The problem was, his perspective was blinding him to what God was really doing. It's sort of the the notion we call today, is that you can't see the forest because of the trees. Sometimes we can get so caught up in trying to see one thing that we miss the picture and what God truly is doing. And John is standing there and he's beginning to weep and beginning to cry. And this elder comes up to him and this elder is worshiping. And this elder said, why are you crying, man? Stop crying. Look. Look who's there. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David is standing there. And John said, oh, lo, I behold, I saw. There he is, the lamb, laying there as it was slain. Your problem was, the one who was crying had his eyes on the problem. The one who was worshiping had his eye on the solution. The one who was weeping over his circumstances and where he was was because his eyes were fixated on his problem and where he currently was. But the one who was worshiping and was seeing the same thing that was going on as John wasn't looking at the problem, but was looking at the one who could solve the problem. Tonight, I'm not telling you of a place that you can get to where everything in your life goes away. I'm not preaching to you pie in the sky and everything in your life will magically go away with one magical wave of some kind of biblical wand. It doesn't happen like that. But I can tell you tonight, even though you may walk out here and you might deal with the same circumstances when you get up tomorrow as when you went to bed tonight, you can leave out of here with a different perspective. Because when I begin to worship God and when begin I begin to give Him praise and I begin to give Him glory, what happens in my life is I start getting my eyes off of my problem and start looking at the solution. Oftentimes we say this. In fact, David even said that. We say it. It's sort of a churchy thing we say. If you're around long enough, you'll hear us. It's a churchy saying. We say, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's everybody magnify the Lord. And when we say that, usually people begin to clap their hands and wave their hands. But if you stop for a moment and think about it, that makes no sense. I'll tell you why it doesn't make any sense. Because the Bible says that God fills all space and all time. That God is already as big as he can get because he's already filling everything. So if I say let's magnify God, when we think of magnify, we think let's make God bigger. You can't make something big that's already the biggest it can be. He's already big as big as he can be. 
So if we say let's magnify God, we can't make God bigger than he already is. So why did David and why do we say let's magnify God? I'll tell you why. Because you learned this in science class. You may have found this. You take a microscope. You can take something and you can put it in a microscope or you can put it in a magnifying glass. And when you magnify it, you don't change the size of the object, but you change the size of the perspective by which you see the object. When we say let's magnify God, we're not saying let's make God bigger than he is. But what we're truly saying is as we begin to worship him, God is going to become bigger in my eyes as I lift him up and give him glory. Some of you, I, I've used this a lot of times, but some of you have seen me do it, but just there's enough, there's enough new people in here tonight. Never seen this happen. Brother, Brother Ray, would you come here? Would you stand down there? You're going to be God, and I'm going to be myself. And you've, you've, you've seen me do this, but allow me for a moment, if you would. Here I am, okay? Just little old me. And there's God over there. He's, God's hanging out. And we've got this space between God and I. Do you know what right now? That if I'm standing here and God's over there, that I, little old Joel, can cover God up with my hand. If I close my left eye and look out of my right eye, so I'm closing, I'm changing my perspective, and I cover God up, my problem looks bigger than God. Right now, my problem actually looks to be several feet taller than God. If I get far enough away in December, we, took, we went up to, to New York, in New York City, the first time I got to stand next to the World Trade Center, the first one, the one that's been built and replaced of the Twin Towers. Do you know you can get far enough away from the World Trade Center, even though you stand beneath it 1,776 feet tall and you're mesmerized that it's that tall, but you know when you're going, coming up the turnpike, you can start to see it rise in the distance that you can stand there and you can cover up that entire building with your hand? And there's nobody in here tonight that would even think to argue that my hand is bigger than Ray slash God. Your wife's questioning these decisions here tonight. <laughs> there's nobody here tonight that would question if Ray is bigger than my hand or if my hand's bigger than we know that. But yet my perspective tells me it is. And I can sit here tonight and I can talk to you about the greatness of God and who God is and what all God can do. And you can stay over here and you can say, well, you know, preacher, that's all church stuff. That's all church talk because I'm looking at it. I don't really see how can that guy do anything for me? Look, I mean, really, all I see is this big thing in front of me. But here's what it means when you begin to worship. And this is what John didn't get at first. Here's what happens. As I begin to worship him, the Bible says that he inhabits, he abides in, he's drawn to the praise of his people. So when I begin to worship him, God, you're good. I magnify you. I give you glory and I give you honor. I give you thanks. There is none like you. You're the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the everlasting, the same yesterday, today. Guess what happens? God doesn't get any bigger. But guess what happens? The closer I get to him, the more I realize there is nothing that God cannot do. There is no problem.
problem that is too great that God can't handle. That's why, that's why when we worship God and we praise God, it's not just something we do. It's not just having a part of a service. But what we're doing is we're changing the perspective that we have of God. Because I'm telling you right now, if you've never experienced this, you're missing out. If you've never stood for a moment and just begin to say even the simple word, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The Bible says hallelujah is the highest praise you can give him. It's the same in every language. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You say, preacher, that's just crazy. That's weird. You know why you say that? Because you never tried it. But for those of you in this place that have tried it, and you can testify tonight when I think about the goodness of Jesus. And all he's done for me. Hallelujah. You see, here's what happens. And I'm almost done. I'm, 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 the landing lights are out. The gear's down. We're coming in. Be of good cheer. We're almost there. <laughs> Notice what happened. Verse number six. Verse five and verse six. The worshiper said, look at the lion. The weeper said, look at the lamb. The worshiper said, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the lamb, the, 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 the weeper said, look at the lamb. It sounds noble, but we got to go back all the way to Calvary. Let's just, let's just take it back for a moment. All the way to Calvary. The Bible says he was the lamb, the lamb slain for the foundation of the world. That Jesus Christ became the sacrificial lamb for us. Shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. That Calvary was not a publicity stunt to gain more followers. But Calvary was ultimately a supernatural event that reached out into the annals of time all the way into this service tonight. But here's what happened. We all know the story. But just allow me for a moment to tell it one more time because it's too good to pass up. We know Jesus is on that cross. He said seven phrases. And the final phrase he says is he lifted up his voice in one final gasp of breath and he calls out it is finished and the bible records that at that moment he says that he dies and all of his the followers that were there his family members gathered around and they're weeping and they're seeing this happen and they're going through and they're realizing Wait a minute, this wasn't supposed to end like this. He was supposed to be the savior. He was supposed to be the redeemer. He was supposed to be the king. He was supposed to get us out of all this. And he's up on that cross and we're watching him die the most horrible death. And they lower the cross and they, lay, they pick up his limp, broken body. And they carry him off to the tomb. And they lay him down in the tomb. And they roll the stone in place. And they are walking around in disbelief trying to figure out what has gone on. In fact, we know that they were in turmoil because when you start reading the story, we know a lot of them went into hiding. They're scared to death. They're afraid. If they killed him, they're coming after us. But what they did not understand is, you see, that was their perspective. 
But they didn't know God's perspective. Because the whole time that was going on, the moment that stone bounced into place, the devil's down and having a good old party because he thought, wait a minute, we finally got him. We got him. (laughs) Boys, we did it. He thought he could get us, but we knew better. And look at him now. He's dead. He's dead. We got him. Wait a minute. What was that? What was what? What was that noise? I didn't hear any noise. What are you talking about? No, I hear footsteps. Ain't no footsteps. It's all in your head. No, I'm telling you, I hear footsteps. And didn't even realize it. And turned around. And there is Jesus. Walked up right in the party. And said, hello, boys. And the devil looked at Jesus and said, hey, wait a minute. What you doing here? I thought I killed you. He said, you thought, but you thought wrong. He said, because what you don't realize is, what you thought you were doing was all a part of my plan. He said, by killing me, you've now given me the authority that I need. He said, uh, what's that on your wall? The devil said, I got some keys over there. He said, um, now that I'm here, I'll take that key, that key, that key. In fact, go ahead and give me all the keys. And the Bible says that Jesus stepped down into hell. He wasn't laid on the slab in the grave taking a three-day nap. The Bible says that he was in hell and he got the key to death, hell, and the grave. Meaning, he got the key to everything the devil can hang over you. Ah. You missed it. You missed it. He got the key to everything the devil can hang over you. Death, hell, and the grave. You know what that means tonight? That you and I, who were bought with the blood of that Savior, he walked in the lamb, but he came out the lion. So I can stand here tonight and know no weapon formed against me shall prosper. No weapon. Why do you say that? Are you being cocky? No, because greater is he that is in me. Oh, somebody just needs to take 30 seconds and give God some praise in this house. Listen to this. All Satan did, didn't even realize he was doing it. All Satan did was he killed the lamb to reveal the lion. Didn't even know it. He was killing the lamb to reveal the lion. Now you tell me, 
if he doesn't have the keys to his kingdom, his own kingdom, how in the world can he lock you up? In order to lock somebody up, there's an ingredient you got to have. It's in the word. It's called a lock. But if you don't have a key, there is no lock that can keep you out if you don't have the key. And if he doesn't even have his own key, how can he lock you up? The only way he can lock you up is to get you to stop worshiping. The only way he can lock you up is to make you a weeper and not a worshiper. Oh, you don't know how bad I've got it. Oh, you don't know how much I'm going through. Oh, you don't know all the things that happened to me. Get your eye off the problem. Because there's not a lamb in the house tonight, but there is a lion in the house. Yes, you may be in a weeping mode, but when you begin to give God praise and you begin to worship Him, you know that we serve a big God and He's a little devil. And when I begin to worship him, I begin to hear the rattling of the keys. When I begin to worship him, I hear the jingling of the keys. Because I begin to realize, wait a minute. I don't know why I'm upset in the beginning in the first place. Because there is nothing, nothing that I'm going through that I don't have the guarantee that all things, all things, say that with me, all things. I'll say it like you actually believe it, all things. All things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. This is not emotion tonight. I'm not preaching to you emotional hype. Clap your hands a few times. Wave your hands a few times. Ooh, that was cool. I'm not talking about emotionism tonight. I'm not trying to get you into an emotional frenzy. You can get emotional. Last, last Sunday night, there were people losing their minds emotionally. But when they woke up Monday morning, guess what? They had to go to work with a headache. Because their emotion, their emotion made them feel good but didn't change anything. All, if we're all we're doing tonight is a bunch of emotionalism, we're going to jump around, get all sweaty, have to go home and take a shower, wake up tomorrow, and nothing changes. I'm not talking about emotionism. I'm talking about you lifting up your voice. And beginning to give God praise so that your perspective begins to change. And you begin to see God differently when you leave than when you walked in here. I'm not saying, dude, you're going to walk out and you're going to walk. You came in in a Honda, you're going to walk out in a Rolls Royce. I'm not saying that tonight. I'm not saying you came, you left a two-bedroom, you're going home to a ten-bedroom. It ain't happening. I'm telling you that right now, it ain't happening. Even if you stop along the way and you play the lottery, I'm telling you, it ain't going to work out. I'm not talking tonight about you finding some kind of secret formula that's going to change your life. I'm simply telling you about the power that God has given us as we begin to worship him. 
Because you know the tendency is, we want to start, we oh God, feel sorry for me. You know how bad I'm going, God. Come on, God, feel sorry for me. Throw me a bone, please, something. No, no, no. We don't need to weep tonight. We need to begin to worship him. Because if I begin to worship him, all of a sudden, my perspective begins to change. And I may walk out of here tomorrow, and I may be standing in front of the same mountain tomorrow morning as I lay down tonight in front of. But I know that God's grace and God's mercy, I'm going to climb that mountain. Because when I begin to worship him, when I begin to worship him, when I begin to worship him and I begin to give him thanks, the closer I get to him, the more I realize there's nothing I'm going through that God cannot handle. You walk out of here tonight and you say, well, that's just a bunch of crazy stuff, preacher. That's just a bunch of, you know, that's just that's a bunch of stuff. You guys, you crazy people, you believe. I don't know about all that. You know what? You walk out here tonight, you're going to walk out with a big hand and a little God. But I'm telling you tonight, there's some people that you're like, you just keep worshiping. You just you, you block out the critics and keep worshiping. Because the more you worship, the closer you're going to get to him. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize, I don't know why I walked in here depressed because I'm leaving happy. I don't know why I walked here with fear because I'm leaving with peace. Why? Because I know that God is great. Would you stand to your feet tonight? I wonder for, I wonder. I wondered. Let's just do a test. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I wonder if we could just do a quick test of the emergency broadcasting system. I wonder if we could test this out. I wonder if we're about. Let's just. Let's just. Let's just. Let's. Let's shoot low. All right. I wonder for sixty seconds. Sixty seconds. You may have to go tonight. You may have to get up early. But can you squeeze sixty seconds? You can't even order a burger at McDonald's in 60 seconds. So give me 60 seconds. I wonder for 60 seconds if you could do just a couple things for me. Here, here's all I want you to do. For those of you that would, you don't, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. For 60 seconds, I wonder if those of you that would will close your eyes. You say, why do you want me to close your eyes? To be spooky? No, because you know what? I'm not God. So you don't need to look at me because I can't do anything. The person sitting next to you, it's not God. And if you're married to him, you know certainly they're not God. So no reason to look at him. But do this. Close your eyes. And get your mind on Jesus. What does that mean? I want you to see Jesus. I want you to, I want you to get an image in your mind of what Jesus and Jesus in your mind. You say, I don't know what it looks like. I don't either. Your guess is as good as mine. Picture what he looks Get him in your mind. Get your mind on him. And I want you to open up your mouth. Why do I need to open up my mouth? Because the Bible says, if I believe, I speak. If I begin to, if I really believe what I'm saying, if I really believe what I'm thinking, I'll say it. The Bible says that faith comes when I speak what, I, what I'm thinking. So you're going to do this. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to get your mind on Jesus. You're going to lift your hands. Why am I lifting my hands? Because it's a sign to him that I'm giving him glory. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm, and out loud, I'm going to lift up my voice. You don't have to shout it. You don't have to be the loudest person in the room, but you got to open up your mouth. And all I want you to do is just begin to give God praise for 60 seconds. And maybe you don't know what else to say. I'll give you a perfect word. Just say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we're going to do that for 60 seconds. And I believe if you do that, there's guy that God's going to begin to touch some lives in this place tonight. Are you ready? Let's lift our hands right now. Father, I pray right now. By the authority of the word and by the power of the name. That you would move in this place tonight. 
that your power would be made demonstrated tonight by our faith. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Lift your voice right now. Come on. Lift your voice and begin to worship him. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Do I have any worshipers in the house? That's it. Yes. 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 Yes, come on, just do that. Come on, about 30 seconds into it. Can you got any more left in you? Come on, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Come on. Come on. The presence of God is in this place. Hallelujah. Now here's what I want you to do. If those of you that would. Would you take somebody by the hand right now. And say listen. Would you worship with me for the next 30 seconds. Come on. Join with somebody and worship with them. Join with somebody and worship with them. Grab somebody by the hands and listen. You and me just worship together. You and me just be a worshiper for 30 seconds. 30 seconds, be a worshiper. Come on, just give it 30 seconds. Take a hold of that hand and just say, Would you worship with me tonight? God bless you. If you need to go, God bless you. But if you're staying, would you just worship with me for 30 seconds? Come on. Come on. God wants to do something in this place. Glory. Hallelujah. This is what we've come to do. Tear down strongholds. Break the chains. Find the devil in Jesus' name. Tonight, we've got a right to shake the foundation with praise. Praise Him. Hallelujah. Praise Him. The Lord is worthy. The Lord is worthy. The Lord is worthy. The Lord is worthy. Tonight, we've got a right to shake the foundation with praise. Praise Him. Hallelujah. Praise Him. We praise you. Shake the foundation with praise. Hey, glory, hallelujah. This is what we've come to do. Tear down strongholds, break the chains. Find the devil in Jesus' name. 
Jesus' name. Tonight, we've got a right to shake the foundation with praise. Say, glory, hallelujah. This is what we've come to do. Tear down strongholds, break the chains. Bind the devil in Jesus' name. Tonight, we've got a right to shake the foundation with praise, praise Him, praise Him. The Lord is worthy, the Lord is worthy, the Lord is worthy, the Lord is worthy. Tonight, we've got a right to shake the foundation with praise, praise Him, praise Shake the foundation with praise, praise Him, praise Him. The Lord is worthy, the Lord is worthy, the Lord is worthy, the Lord is worthy. Tonight, we got a right, tonight, tonight, we got a right. Say, tonight, we got a right. To shake the foundation with praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time all over this place and give God praise. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 Here's what here's what's going to happen. In order for you to leave, we have ushers posted at the door. In order for you to leave, here's how you got to get out of here. You got to at least shake three people's hand. We're watching. If it's two, you got to stay in here. Find a third. Make sure you shake somebody's hand. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. If you're a guest with us, we hope you come back and be with us again. God bless you. You're dismissed.